Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash whyitworks. Here with us today is Julia Seamus. Julia is a recruiting and career services professional with experience on both sides of the job search and hiring process. She now applies this unique perspective as a career consultant helping job seekers navigate the job search process. We speak to Julia from her home office on a sunny summer afternoon. Welcome, Julia, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Great to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. So uh, we met at the Interview Palooza uh, mock interview sessions for the Ramapo College students. Right. And I had so much fun there, and, and you were one of the other sort of guest mock interviewers that I met. Uh, what was your experience there like? I actually really, really enjoyed it, and I was very impressed with uh, with the setup. It was uh, it was my first time mm-hmm. uh, at Interview Interview Palooza, and I uh, I volunteered for it because this is actually what I do for a living, and I work primarily with adults. But this mm-hmm. was such a great opportunity to get involved with kids just starting out, you know, young adults, I should say, just starting out their their careers. For today's graduates, it's expected actually that they're going to change jobs upwards of 20 times in their career. Wow. Uh, and when you think about that, it's really mind boggling. And it's arguably the most important skill that they're going to develop for their, for their long-term professional uh, success. So I really, really enjoyed the experience. And I actually have, mm-hmm. a, have um, a great outcome to talk about because one of the students I met, I referred uh, for an opening with a client of mine and she's three weeks into her job. Wow. And I got great feedback. Wow. <laughs> very well. Wonderful, wonderful. So you know, congratulations it, to Maria. Awesome, awesome. Great, Maria. It's, it's so interesting what you say about um, the, uh, the current generation of beginning professionals, you know, interviewing or being at so many different jobs, which probably means interviewing. You know, you think about previous generations, you could go 5, 10, 15 20 years at the same place and then suddenly you you have to interview and you're like what is this right it's a different world it's a completely different landscape and in fact many of the clients that i work with are career changers or people mm-hmm. who after 15 20 years have found themselves laid off and yeah. it's very very difficult because the strategies that worked 20 years ago they don't work oh, or they don't exist anymore yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that is such a good point. I didn't even think about that, right? Like, right. it's it's kind of like when your parents raised you, and and now they want to do the things to uh, your kids or their grandkids that they did to you, and you're like, no, 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 that's right. like thirty year old technology. You can't do that to our kid. <laughs> it's like my teenager tells me, "Mom, that's that's just so lame." <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So funny. So, let's get to know you a little bit better. Please tell the audience what you do, but tell us as if we're five-year-olds. Okay. I love this approach that you take. 
So when I was five years old, one of my favorite games was house. I loved to pretend that I was uh, the mom. Mm -hmm. And so I think in most cases, what I would do is ask a five-year-old to imagine that she's playing house. Mm -hmm. All of the girls would want to be typically the mommy and all uh -huh. the boys would want to be the daddy. Sure. And so what I do is help each of those um, kids figure out and explain why they would be the best mommy or daddy so that they can be selected oh, for that role. Great, great. Excellent. Oh, I love that explanation. So I am so happy you're here. Uh, and let me explain why. I am like the world's worst poker player. Like if I get a good hand, you can see it on my face. If I get a bad hand, you can see it on my face. And I can't really tell what anyone else has got in their hand. And Maybe the only area I'm kind of worse than poker is telling how I did on an interview. You know, I, I might go in and, wow, I, many times in my career, like, I nailed that interview. Nothing. Or other times where it's like, oh, I don't think they even like me. And I find out later that I got really great feedback. So I'm, I'm really curious to learn from you what are kind of the things that work? What are the things that recruiters and hiring managers look at that really make a difference, sort of that insider knowledge, because, you know, I've mostly done it in my career from, you know, the other side of the table when you're applying. So what are your kind of high level thoughts on that? I think when it comes to when it comes to interviews, the way that people, the way the job seekers typically start their preparation process is to focus on the job description, you know, and it's kind of like a checklist. They go down the list. Okay, I've got the bachelor's or the master's degree. Uh, I know how to program in C++ and Java. You know, I have the certification. Check, 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 check. That's all important, of course. But there's something that goes way beyond that because looking at it from the perspective of a recruiter, you have to understand that you know when a recruiter walks into their office and sees a stack of hundreds, if not thousands of resumes, the first screening is to identify who has those basic minimum requirements. So all the resumes that end up in that yes pile are meeting those expectations in terms of the academic background, the basic skills that are required. Mm -hmm. So the people who get called for an interview have to take the next step in terms of differentiating themselves. Okay. That's the purpose of the interview, um, is to really make it more personal about you to show how you are different from the other, you know, 75 resumes that I'm looking at, you know, mm -hmm. the other 20 people that I'm going to call in for, for interviews. What do you bring to the table that I'm not going to get with the other 19? Uh. And you know, there's absolutely, you know, a personal component to it. Beyond the technical skills, it's about soft skills. It's about transferable skills. It's about the personal connection. Yes. You know, there's, there's an opportunity with the face-to-face -face interview to really establish a connection beyond just talking about your, your skills Okay. Uh, and your experience strictly related to the job. Because recognize that the person is looking to hire someone who's going to be a member of a team, of a department. Yes. You know, I, I very often think of it from the perspective of, I'm going to spend more time with my colleagues than I do with my spouse, than I do with my kids. <laughs> yeah. You know, and looking at it from that angle, it's so important to enjoy yeah. the people that you're with, right? So it's not just, can you do the job, but how are you going to do the job? How are you going to interact with people? Are you going to be a pleasure to be around? Are you going to be difficult to manage? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, do our personalities kind of, kind of jive? And are you going to be not only a productive, but also pleasant contributor to this work environment? 
So there are many, many things that are, that are being considered beyond just the technical skills. Great. So that's a great segue into our first clip. It's a bit of a humorous video that spoofs maybe the impression that your answers might give to an interviewer, which is probably not what you intended to do. I am really excited to meet you. I saw on your daughter's blog that she has a gluten allergy, so I got these gluten-free cookies. I hope she likes them. I'm a crazy stalker. Don't let me into your life. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't bring any copies of my resume with me. <laughs> I actually care so little about this job. I didn't even bother to print something out. Sorry I'm late to traffic. <laughs> I just don't care about your time. They really didn't know how to take advantage of my skills. I have no skills. My old boss, Tim, do you know him? Oh, I love Tim to death. He didn't really get social media, but gotta love that guy. I'm super passive aggressive, and I'll talk behind your back the first chance I get. My biggest flaw is that I'm a perfectionist. My biggest flaw is that I am an asshole and a liar. Well, I'm not good at public speaking or delegating or working in Excel, or interviewing for jobs, obviously. I really don't have any flaws. Yeah, I'm gonna be a lot of fun to manage. Where will I be in five years? In your job. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm not kidding. Watch your ass. I wanna invent the next Uber. I'm gonna use your office to start my own company. Yeah, and then I'm gonna steal all your employees, even Brenda. I mean, honestly, I would just like really love to get away from the grind in this like business setting. Like maybe I'll move to Europe or Africa or Asia or open up an Etsy store, something like that. Yeah, I actually, I get high a lot. What kind of medical insurance do you provide? I have cholera and I want you to pay for it. What's your vacation policy like? I can't wait to not be at my new job. Do you think I'll get an office? I want all the things I don't deserve. Sorry, I'm expecting a call. Yeah, so many more things in the world more important than this. Yeah, yeah, it's going great. I don't know, I think I get it. I really want this job. I'm the most desperate person you've ever met and I'm like five seconds away from grabbing your hand and begging. I'm a team player and I'm a people person. All I have to offer you are cliches. I'm not really looking right now, but I would consider taking it if the price was right. Yeah, I'm gonna start looking for a job from my desk the second you hire me. Do you know anyone actually? (laughs) (laughs) So Julia, what do you think? Oh boy, oh boy, where to start? Um, So the interview is all about perception. Okay. Right? It's, it's, not, um, it's not necessarily what you think you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how it's coming across to the other person. So let's, let's just kind of take, take the examples um, shown here. If you, one of the first things I recommend to all of my clients is mm-hmm. put yourself in the perspective, in the position of the interviewer. Okay. Right? First things first, you're dealing with a person. So, be respectful of their, of their time, of their effort, right? Showing up late, first and foremost. Not good, not good. <laughs> not good. 
I mean, I've actually been known to not only get there early, which every, everyone should do, but if I'm going to another location, I might drive there the weekend before to make sure that I know the route, to make sure that I know where the traffic delays are going to be, if there's any construction along the way. You and I share, I think, a very, very poor sense of direction, so maybe I'm forward, <laughs> but absolutely always plan ahead and budget extra time. That's absolutely key because yeah. the last thing you want to do is show up at an interview late, frazzled, you know, and nervous, not prepared to put your best foot forward. Resume. You know, I've heard people say to me, Julia, in this day and age, I've sent them their resume. They have it. Why mm-hmm. should I have to bring it in? This, this is, again, a sign of respect, a sign of preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you never know how the interview is going to go. I've actually had situations when things went so well that, you know, at the end of the scheduled three meetings that I was supposed to have, they would say, you know what, let me just check if the head of the department is in the office. I'd like you to meet him. Mm-hmm. You walk in, you pull a resume out. It's very professional. There's mm-hmm. no awkward moment in terms of, I have no idea what your background is. I don't know what to ask you. So preparation is absolutely key for success um, in any interview. The preparation, then taking that one step forward, please, please, please do your research. Yeah. Uh, any company that, uh, that you go into, the expectation is that you will know something about that industry, about that organization. Um, if it's a public company, I mean, you can find a ton of information and go in there having at least a basic understanding of what their struggles are, why they're bringing you in. Uh, you know, the, this actually brings to mind there's a very good series of books on the job search called Knock 'em Dead by Martin Yates. Okay. Uh, and he actually, you know, he explains in his books that every job exists because there is a problem to solve. And I think that's just such an important thing to remember. If, if not for, for the fact that this organization has, is experiencing a difficulty, there's something that needs to be diagnosed. There's something that needs to be corrected. There's something that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. They have no need for you. You wouldn't be there right? So it's your job going in to really understand what their needs are. That is, if you want to make a positive impression, right? And you can drop information throughout the course of the interview that relates to those needs and kind of align your answers to what is really going to resonate with the interviewer. You know, what I find so interesting about what you're saying is, I think people, and I catch myself doing this a lot too, you know, you mistakenly think of um job that they're putting out as the sum of the requirements, right? right. Like right. you see those bullet points and you're like, oh, the person who gets the job is going to be the one who hits all these bullet points. But it kind of misses the mark in that, like how you were saying, it's a connection. It's a human being you're connecting with. It's, you know, it's an organization, but the organization is run by human beings who've decided there's a certain need that this position fills, right? right. So it's, right. it's connecting with them in the sense to showcase how you might be the best candidate to help solve their problem. And it's so much less about, do I have five years here or do I have, you know, these letters um, after my name? If you do all the mistakes that you were talking about, like don't have your resume, show up late, maybe you're dressed inappropriately, you could hit all those bullets, but it doesn't matter because right. you're out. You're, you're not even close, right? 
Definitely, definitely. Um, and there's actually there's actually an experience that I can recall when I was interviewing for a position, and, and this was very, very early in my career. Uh, so in the uh, in the clip that we just saw, the last person who actually took a phone call at the end of the interview and said, "Oh, I think it's it's going so well, and I'm going to get it." <laughs> That actually jogged my memory uh, and reminded me I had a similar experience um, early in my career where I was actually being interviewed. And especially because it was one of my first interviews, I, you know, it, it was so memorable uh-huh. because it was so negative. It was, oh, no. <laughs> it was like being on an episode of The Office. <laughs> the interviewer, believe it or not, actually did that multiple times during the course of our conversation. Oh, oh your, your interviewer would I pick was, up, answer the phone? Oh, my, that is so rude. I was interviewing for a position and, of course, you know, fairly junior in my career. Rather than making the extra effort to, you know, to kind of engage, to, to put the candidate at ease, uh-huh. it was just all over the place. And he kept answering phone calls and there were interruptions. I seriously felt like I was on an episode of The Office. And, wow. you know, the important takeaway from that is the interview is it's not an interrogation. At least it shouldn't mm-hmm. be in an mm-hmm. ideal world. In my, in my mind, you know, what I always strive for is to make it, to make it a very comfortable exchange of information between two professionals. Mm-hmm. They're evaluating you, of course. You know, they're evaluating you against the, the needs, the requirements for the position, you know, the, the culture, the environment, how good a fit are you going to be, your personality, all of those things. At the same time, though, you know, we, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the candidate should be doing the same thing in reverse, right? You're, evaluating, you're evaluating that because you don't want to end up in an organization where you're going to be miserable. <laughs> not, not every environment is going to be the right fit for every person. Yeah. And for, you know, for example, if you're, if you're very conservative, if you're very buttoned up, you're probably not going to appreciate a startup environment where everything is unstructured and kind of you know, fly by the seat of your pants. So it's very much an evalu- a two-way evaluation. And if the interviewer is, you know, making these kinds of mistakes, like picking up the phone and not mm-hmm. being respectful towards you, is that really an environment that you're going to want to be in? Or is that the type of person that you're going to want managing you? Now, I totally agree with what you're saying. And at the risk of oversimplifying, I would say it's kind of interesting how, you know, if you think about relationships and you know your job is in a way it's it's a very important relationship right if you think about people who would date you or would marry you right just because someone would doesn't mean that you want to date them or that you should marry them either but for some reason for jobs we have this feeling like well if they take me i should definitely take the job it's 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 very bizarre and i'm of course i'm oversimplifying and there's the economics and obviously sometimes you need a job right. but to your point you know not every job that you get offered is good for you or or the right move for you over the long term absolutely absolutely i agree with that and it's it's one of it's one of the key points that i make to to job seekers you know you you absolutely have to prepare you have to put your best foot forward you know but to that question of why do you want to work for this company why mm-hmm. us why this industry there has to be a very strong understanding there of why uh, and if i can share a funny story with you yeah please please do <laughs> Many years ago, I worked, uh, I worked in New York City for an auction house and interviewed, and interviewed a candidate uh, for an administrative assistant position. And it went pretty well. You know, the conversation 
the the interview I would say was pretty positive, and she was really enthusiastic. She ended she ended the interview by reiterating her interest, and she said, "It has been my life's dream to work for Sotheby's." Wow. Which would have been fantastic, except for the fact that I at the time worked for Christie's. <laughs> No, come on, you're making that up. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> so it really pays to read, you know, the, the sign on the door. When oh, you're my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Know which interview you're at. I mean, you know really, that is, that is awesome. All right, great, great. So let's watch uh, a video of a fellow UVA alum, Go Wahoos, Katie mm-hmm. Couric, mm-hmm. get interviewed about interviewing. So maybe the first question would be, what makes somebody a good interviewer? Well, I think it's really important, Tony, to be a gracious host, because I think the more comfortable you make someone feel, the better interview you'll ultimately get. So I know that in terms of body language, I always try to be very warm and welcoming. And I think it's really critical to put someone at ease. I think also you have to calibrate your tone depending on what interview you're doing. If I'm talking to David Duke about, you know, uh, anti-Semitism or or racism, uh, obviously I'll have a very different tone. I'll be much more pugnacious than I would be when I'm talking to someone who may have suffered a personal tragedy. So I think it's really important to be very empathetic in some cases and then to know when you're going to be loaded for bear and really try to uh, elicit important information from someone who may be a bit oily and not direct in answering your questions. How do you prepare for an interview? Well, I try to do a combination of of explaining what I can in the body of the question without going on and on. And I try to ask questions, obviously, that don't require a yes or no answer because that's a disaster because you're left kind of with a lot of dead air. (laughs) Um, and, And depending on who I'm talking to, I fashion my questions that way, and uh, I sometimes go through them and think, well, how is this person likely to answer this, and what would be an appropriate follow-up? And knowing what they've said in previous interviews or their positions on various issues, I think, well, how can I go at this another way? Sometimes it happens spontaneously, obviously, when someone doesn't answer your questions, but at other times, I think you can predict appropriate follow-up questions. It might sound a little bit Captain Obvious, but listening is probably really important, right? Very, very. Nothing is worse for me than as a viewer to watch someone go down a laundry list of questions and not explore something with a little more depth after someone has answered a question already. To not pick up on something, maybe an inconsistency or something that may be news and and follow up on that and, and use that as the springboard to go into a whole different area. I think you need to use your questions as uh, sort of a template, but you have to be willing to listen, as you said, Tony, and really veer off in a totally different direction. I, I can't stand it when people don't have the ability to do that. I'm like, ah, oh, it makes me crazy. So what can we learn from this, Julia? So this clip is great because if you're going to learn about interviewing, you may as well go, you may as well go to the source. And I can think a few people better than Katie Couric. And she makes a number of excellent, excellent points. First and foremost, putting people at ease. Mm. Uh, this, this is something I really try to do with each and every interview that I conduct because 
my objective is to learn about the other person. The okay. best way to do that is to make them comfortable enough to really have an open conversation as opposed to feeling that, you know, they're, they're just going through a barrage of questions. And because they're nervous, because they're so uptight, all I'm likely to get are monosyllabic answers, you know, mm. yeses or noes. So this is a really, really key point. And it actually reminds me of uh, a training that I went through, the very first training I had in interviewing, I won't say how many years back, uh -huh. but uh, I do recall that the instructor asked all of the participants in the room to describe themselves. Okay. And people, you know, people started throwing out adjectives. I'm motivated, I'm persistent, I'm creative, resourceful, organized, team player, you know, and it was, it was a laundry list of things. And then he said, what do I now know about you? You know, and after a few seconds of silence, the answer was nothing. Wow. You really know nothing in terms of substance, because those are just words being thrown out there. And if you really want to make a strong impression, a substantive impression, you have to follow that up with details, with examples, Ooh. with stories, with substance. And that's really the whole idea behind behavioral interviewing, which is what you and I were, you know, we're trying to teach students at this Interview Palooza event. The whole idea behind that being if you, you know, you're being asked open-ended questions. This is the other, the other point that, that Katie focused on. She doesn't ask you questions that you can easily say yes or no and just call it a day. Okay. They're, they're purposely framed in such a way that they elicit stories of what you did in the past. Because the whole concept behind behavioral interviewing is that if you have been in a situation in one of your previous jobs or, you know, in any, in any other um, environment or circumstance, and you were able to deal with a specific problem, situation, challenge, right? And you can, you can explain to me how you went about doing that and how it worked out. I'm much more comfortable and convinced of the fact that you will be successful at my organization when you're faced with something similar. I love what you're saying here about behavioral interviewing and the times that I interviewed and people like you and I, you know, we've, we've interviewed or interviewed people enough that we can, when a behavioral interview question comes to us, we're like, ah, oh, a behavioral interview question. Like, like we know what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, my reaction in the past, right up until this moment, has probably been a perspective of, gosh, they're forcing me to respond in this behavioral interview way, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's, it's almost like a, like a formula or a script or response. But what just came to mind when you were explaining it is I kind of had it the wrong way. In actuality, I should almost be answering all my questions as if I was answering a behavioral interview question. Absolutely. Because the effect is they will understand it better. It'll be more memorable. It'll seem more authentic to them. It's actually in my interests to maybe not, you know, follow a behavioral interview script, but like those things that make an, a behavioral interview answer powerful or helpful, I should be bringing those to my answers, even when they ask me a yes or no question. Absolutely. I, I think, I think that's, um, it's so great that you picked up on that because, um, 
behavioral interviewing, what I've learned from behavioral interviewing in my career is applicable to all areas of life. Um, mm. You know, to the point that I actually teach my, my teenagers, you know, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of prod them, okay, <laughs> you know, t- tell me, tell me about the situation, tell me, you know, how you work through it, what were the action steps, um, because it does, it makes your story much more powerful and convincing. And the other, the other point that I wanted to make here uh, is that you're being asked during an interview to essentially make a sales pitch, right? Yeah. Um, to talk about your, your experience, your strengths, your qualifications, your uh, personal attributes, you know, whatever it is that will make you successful in this particular role. Uh-huh. People get very nervous, understandably, uh, about uh-huh. interviews. You know that that's not a surprise. But I think what helps what helps really you know really mitigate that and kind uh-huh. of you know bring them ground them a little bit and bring them down to earth is understanding that you are the subject matter expert on all of those things that you're being asked to discuss. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you're not you're not talking about something that's foreign, that's unfamiliar to you, that you know you have to kind of bluff your way through. Uh-huh. You are the expert on your experience, on what you know, on what you've accomplished in the past, how you can apply all of those experiences to future challenges of a similar mm-hmm. nature. So that in working with, with clients and working with job seekers, I find that looking at it from that perspective really, really helps them move forward and talk about what they have to offer with confidence. I love that reframing. That is great. Let's take a look at some real reframing from the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, Here's an interview under terrible circumstances and how Will Smith's character, Chris, handles it. Chris Gardner. Chris Gardner. How are you? Good morning. Chris Gardner. Chris Gardner. Good to see you again. Chris Gardner, pleasure. I've been sitting out there for the last half hour trying to come up with a story that would explain my being here dressed like this. And and I wanted to come up with a story that would demonstrate qualities that I'm sure you all admire here, like like earnestness or diligence and team playing to something. And I couldn't think of anything. So the truth is, I was arrested for failure to pay parking tickets. Parking tickets? <laughs> and I ran all the way here from the, the Polk station, the police station. What were you doing before you were arrested? I was uh, painting my apartment. Is it dry now? <laughs> I hope so. Jay says you're pretty determined. Oh, he's been waiting outside the front of the building with some 40-pound gizmo for over a month. He said you're smart. I like to think so. And you want to learn this business? Yes, sir, I want to learn this business. Have you already started learning on your own? Absolutely. Jay. Yes, sir. How many times have you seen Chris? No, I don't know. One too many, apparently. <laughs> Is he ever dressed like this? No. No. Jacket and tie. First in your class? In school? High school? Yes, sir. How many in the class? Uh, Twelve. There's a small town. I'll say. But I was also first in my radar class in in the Navy, and that was a class of 20. Can I say something? 
Um, I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what? I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. Is that fair enough? Chris, what would you say if a guy walked in for an interview without a shirt on? And I hired him. What would you say? He must have had on some really nice pants. <laughs> what just happened here? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a fantastic clip. And it, it really brings to mind, you know, something that, that my mother always told, told me growing up, which is, don't tell me what you can do, show me. Mm-hmm. And, and that is probably the most effective strategy for interviewing that I can suggest to anyone. Rather than trying to talk his way out of the situation, I mean, look at the circumstances. He goes, he goes into probably the most important interview of his life under mm-hmm. the most disastrous circumstances imaginable. And mm-hmm. we, we look at the situation thinking, there, there's just no way. There's no, no way he's going <laughs> to talk himself out of this one. <laughs> and how does he manage to do it? He does it with humor. Mm-hmm. Right. When he's asked that question about what would you what would you say, you know, if I hired a guy without a shirt at an interview? I mean, I don't know about you. I was sitting there thinking, well, I would say you're out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think I'm probably not the only one. But he is able to break the tension in that room with a humorous response. Mm And from, from an interview perspective, that demonstrates so many things about him. He doesn't have to say any more than that. But, you know, anybody else under that kind of stress, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I would have been able to come up with, you know, such a you know, quick-witted, um, yeah. comical, and effective response. You know, yeah, because yeah. we're stressed, we're panicked, many people will tend to freeze. So the fact that he was able to come up with that kind of answer and elicit that kind of response demonstrates his ability to think quickly on his feet, to mm-hmm. maintain his composure, to handle stress, and certainly to think out of the box and be really creative, right? It's not, it's not the answer that anybody would have expected. So from the perspective of an interviewer, mm-hmm. those couple of words demonstrated so many things about him uh, mm-hmm. that are also transferable to the job that he's applying for, right? He's looking for a job uh, as a salesperson. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's a job where there's so much rejection. You have to be very thick skinned. You have to be very persistent. You have to be, you know, open to trying new things, coming up with creative approaches. He just showed me that he's able to do all that. Yeah. Right. You know, one, one other thing, I, I agree with everything you just said there. And, and if I could just add on one other thing that I, I noticed in the beginning is, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people in that situation, they would try to make an excuse Right. You know, they would come up with a story. Oh, this is the reason why he didn't. He was like, look, you know, I'm not going to make an excuse. Don't have a good story. This is why it happened. And, you know, I feel like that kind of honesty and that like not BSing through it gained him 
at least a measure to get him a little bit further along in the interview to get to the point where he could use the humor and, and kind of really seal the deal. But if you go into any sort of situation and you try to make it, oh, it's the traffic's fault or it's the weather or something, right. to your point, they're going to think, well, okay, what happens in the job when there's a problem as a salesperson? What are you going to blame the client? You're going to blame this and that as opposed to his approach, which is just move forward and, and deal with it. Absolutely. Um, you know, authenticity and ownership mm-hmm, mm-hmm. go a really long way. And it comes back to, to you know, the, the point that I made earlier in, in our conversation. It's not just about the job description and, you know, going down that checklist. It's yes. about demonstrating your ability to handle the unexpected because none of us are in jobs where every day is exactly the same and you know exactly what to expect and there's never a fire that has to be put out, right? (laughs) We're lucky if there's a day when there isn't a fire that has to be put out. So demonstrating that to your point, you know, that honesty, that willingness to take ownership Mm -hmm. uh, and to say, okay, I screwed up here, but here is what I learned from the experience, and here's what I'm going to do differently next time. Great. Let's take a look at how a funny shift in perspective can be very powerful. Uh, This is a gentleman named Grant Cardone, uh, and his thinking on what you should be doing uh, or your approach to an interview. Tip number 10, you're not going in to do an interview. You're going in to sell yourself. You're going in to present yourself as a valuable, extraordinary product that no matter what they offer you in money, you're worth a hundred times that. This is all about selling. Okay, you want a job, this is about selling yourself. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, when I go into an interview to get a job, I don't come out without a close. They'll either hire me on the spot or they'll regret not hiring me. You might not hire me, but I promise you, you will regret not hiring me. And or you'll say, Dude, who was that cat? Who was that guy that just came in here? You want to control that interview and make it a sales presentation. Tell them you're extraordinary. Tell them you're great. Tell them you can make a difference. Oversell yourself if you have to. Don't undersell yourself. Overcommit. Overcommit, overpromise, sell. If you don't know how to sell, get my book, Sell or Be Sold. The book is sick. Fundamentals of how to sell anything, yourself, a product, a brand, to market yourself, to, to correctly promote yourself. Because here's the truth. If you're worried about overselling yourself, the problem is you're not sold on you. So the first thing we have to do before you go to this interview where you're going to sell yourself is we're going to get you sold on you. What makes you different? What makes you unique? What makes you extraordinary? What makes you worth more than the highest amount of money they could ever offer you? This is an opportunity right now. You're out of work. This is an opportunity to get finally, to finally get the job you want to get. This is a fresh new start. You need to go in there and bang this thing, knock this thing out of the park by selling yourself, not just doing an interview. Good luck. So what do you think, Julia? Well, not all of us have that much confidence, right? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be quite that gung-ho. But he makes a very, very important point, which is that if you're worried about selling yourself, the problem is you're not truly sold on what you can do. Mm. Uh, And I'm 
I, I think I think there's a really important takeaway from that. In order to be able to market yourself effectively, you need to first believe in the product. Yes. Successful salespeople believe in what they're selling. And remember that your interview is your sales pitch, right? So there's nothing worse than for me than interviewing a candidate who is saying all of the right things, but they're saying it like this. I am so excited to be here. This is the perfect fit for me. And if you hire me, I will be the most enthusiastic and motivated candidate. Oh, jeez, you know, I'm depressed now. <laughs> I will be the most, the most excited you know, and um, an enthusiastic hire that you'll ever make. Yeah. Uh, and believe it or not, you know, that was an exaggeration, clearly. But sure. I have talked to people who, who come across that way. So it's very, very important to understand that you are packaging yourself, not just your skills, but it's, it's a complete package. So your body language and your tone have to be completely in sync with the words that are coming out of your mouth. And if there is that discrepancy, you're not going to convince. Yeah, I think that's so important. Both sides of that, it's like, it starts on the inside. You really have to believe in yourself and that you can do it and that you'll be a good fit. But then if you believe that, but then your outside doesn't also show that, you, you kind of need both, right? Because if you don't have the inside, it won't show on the outside. And if you just have the inside and you don't show the outside, people aren't going to believe you, right? So you really need to have both firing uh, to, to sell yourself or to be able to convince anyone, right? Absolutely. Both, both engines have to be firing. You're, you're exactly right. So there, there are numerous things that go into that. As far as body language, the eye contact is so, so important. Uh, yes. and, uh, you know, and it's funny, actually, thinking, thinking back to interviews, people say to me, so d- does that mean that I'm not allowed to blink for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to interview for, as a physician, as a serial killer, maybe. <laughs> you know, take everything in context. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the important thing to remember is that it should be natural. I always okay. strive for a very kind of free-flowing, natural type of conversation. So whatever mm-hmm. you do in the course of, you know, a conversation that you, that you would have with, with your spouse or a friend, aim for that. You know, there's, there's certainly a level of professionalism but it should flow. It should be comfortable. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be rigid or stiff. So eye contact, you know, maintain that throughout the conversation. But if you're trying to remember, think of an example or remember something from the past and you look away for a moment, oh, oh, I got it. Let me now tell you this story. And then, you know, you, your, your eye contact returns. Just have it really, really natural. The other thing is when people lack confidence, they tend to speak very quietly. Uh, and that's, that's a dead giveaway for me. Okay. Uh, you know, when you're not feeling it, you're not communicating it. You're not conveying it. So both the tone and the volume really reflect how, how strong and how confident you're feeling in that meeting. The other thing is fidgeting. Fidgeting. You know, we all we all have some weakness. It's different uh, for every person, and chances are you know what it is for you. Right, right. I know what it is for me. However your nervousness manifests itself, you need to find a way to contain that. Mm-hmm. And and so I'll give you my example. When I when I first got into this, and it was especially strange for me because not only was I a candidate in you know in some circumstances, but I was also the interviewer in, in other circumstances. Mm-hmm. So 
I had this issue with not knowing what to do with my hands. Okay, sure. That's pretty common, right? You know, it, it is. It is a pretty common thing, but, you know, you don't want to sit there kind of, you know, playing with your nails or, God forbid, biting them <laughs> <laughs> in an interview. So I found a very easy solution. I come into a meeting with a portfolio or a notepad and a pen because mm-hmm. you will always be sitting at, at a desk. Sure. Right? So it looks very professional. You open up the portfolio in front of you and you have a pen in hand. Ah. Having a pen in hand, it necessarily keeps me from fidgeting. Fidgeting, yeah. So, you know, very, very simple solutions that, you know, that make, that potentially can make a big difference uh, in terms of the impression that you, that you convey to the interviewer. And don't be monotone. Please don't be monotone. (laughs) Um, What do you mean, Julia? (laughs) Because, you know, one of the key deciding factors I find in the hiring decision is really the enthusiasm, the Mm. excitement. Their hiring managers are looking for the spark, and Mm -hmm. they're very often willing to compromise on the level of experience Mm -hmm. um, if they find somebody who is just, you know, so excited to be there. They're so anxious to take on, you know, anything and everything to be a sponge to learn, uh, you know, to, to kind of just just dig in and contribute in any way that they can uh, expressing that enthusiasm and that motivation is absolutely critical because if you don't want to be there or you don't know why you're there you know to that first first question that you're often asked why are mm-hmm. you interviewing for this position mm-hmm. if you can't explain that it's it, it's it's a done deal right there wow so uh, just to recap you know a couple themes that I've learned from and heard throughout our conversation together, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, one is this idea that, you know, uh, an interview is not an interrogation, you know, just sort of a reframing of it as you selling yourself as a, as a negotiation or information gathering for yourself. It's, you're not some victim that's being put in a cell and, and interrogated. And, and just making that little shift, I think, is very powerful in the way you, you approach what you do in the interview. And the other thing that I, I, I found really interesting, also this sense of connection, right? Like it's so important in the interview, like a lot of the things that you, that you shared with us um, in terms of being prepared and, and what we talked about, about not making excuses, it's, it's all things to make a strong, good impression to, with the person that you're in front of and the negative things kind of start to sever that connection or make that connection weaker. So I, I really um, understood that a lot stronger during our conversation. Great. Great. And Joe, you know, just um, if I can, if I can mention a couple of, a couple of things, just suggestions in terms of what, what to do and not to do to, Please do. to strengthen your case. One, one of the most unpleasant things that I think recruiters come across in terms in terms of how candidates present themselves, uh-huh. they try to memorize. Uh, and it's, I, I understand why people do that. You know, uh-huh. they're, they're trying, they're trying to over-prepare almost, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. so, so that they, they really, uh, the downside of that is that they end up reading their responses like a script and it sounds like a script. Yeah. So the, the suggestion that I would make here is come back you know, come back to, to this kind of understanding that you are the subject matter expert on what you are presenting. And rather than trying to memorize, refresh your, you know, refresh your knowledge of your background, take your resume and go through it 
with a fine tooth comb, but you know, not looking for typos as people usually do, but rather look at each bullet and remember you know, what that particular project involved, what were the challenges, what were the difficulties, what were the successes, you know, what problems did you resolve? How did you go about resolving those problems? Be prepared to talk about those things. It's, you're going to be, be conveying the same type of information, but you're going to do it in a much more natural, fluid, and convincing way. Great. So, Julia, it's been a real treat to talk to you and learn from you about successful interviews. Is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share or contact information our audience can use to learn more? Sure. Actually, recently I've uh, gotten involved in um, combining my career services experience with another passion of mine, which is education. And I'm actually in the process of connecting with schools, both at the high school and college level, to try to introduce this type of program focusing on what I like to call life skills. Um, Okay you know, the resume writing, interviewing, uh, professional etiquette, kind of everything that young people need to make a seamless transition to the workforce mm-hmm. um, so that they are ready for that in time, you know, in time for their introduction to the workforce rather than 5, 10, 15, or 20 years later when they find themselves, you know, out of work and it's a completely new landscape. Because as we talked about in the beginning, it's, you know, in today's day and age, you're, you're going to be expected to change jobs much more frequently than our parents or yes. past generations did. So it's, it's a, it is truly a critical life skill, and I would love to see it introduced and taught you know, as, as a regular part of you know, the academic curriculum. So if anybody out there has similar interests, I would love to connect, would love to start a conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me um, via LinkedIn or at 201-743-9202. Great. Please uh, reach out to Julia if you share a similar interest or would like to learn more. Thank you, Julia, for sharing your insights on why it works. My pleasure. This has been wonderful. Thanks for having me like peanut butter and jelly a great audiobook to go with this podcast is work rules by laszlo bach find out how google does it to receive a free copy of work rules or another audiobook of your choice just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works again that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook to support our show please leave a rating or comment Become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. That's www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.